We're ready for the word. Are you ready for the word? I know I am. I am ready to press into what he has for us. It's been a really interesting week slash month slash quarter. (laughs) It's just been an interesting time. But you know what? God has been so faithful and he's still speaking to us. And I just, I love the way when things get quiet, you can hear him so much better. You can hear him so much better. And I have had that experience with him this week. I have felt like he has just been speaking to me. And I believe that he's speaking to you as well. So we're going to get into the word this morning. Um, A little unexpected place. I say that because it was unexpected for me. So if you would stand. You got your Bible. I hope you've got your Bible and you are turning those pages. It's fine if it's on your phone, but I hope you have your word with you so we can press in. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And now we're skipping down to verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. I love that. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Father, I thank you for the relevance of your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, the way that it hits in the exact season that we need to hear it. And so, Father, I pray today that that your Holy Spirit would just be released and that, that he would do all that he wants to do with this word. Father, I pray that you just just pour into the households, Father, of those who are tuned in and listening today. Fill this space. Fill this heart with your presence, Father, so that we can absorb and learn and grow in you. Father, we are asking today for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. And Father, by the time we are done here today, I pray that we would know you better. Pray that it all that comes from me is forgotten. Everything that is of you would stand and produce fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love what the the word does. I love, you know, he, he just never ceases to amaze me. He is just that God. And if you ever lose that sense of wonder about who he is, you've got a problem. There's an issue in the heart if you ever stop being amazed at who God is. The, the passage that we're getting into or the, the topic we're getting into this week, we're actually touching on chapter 11 of the book, uh, Run with the Horses. And the, it, it's entitled, uh, The Road Less Traveled. And I'll be honest, when Pastor Ronnie assigned this particular topic to me, I thought I knew where I was going to go, but that's consistent with the rest of my life. So often I think I know what I'm doing until I talk to the Lord about it, (laughs) and he has a different idea. This particular passage or this chapter talks about the Rechabites, and it talks about a life being set apart for God. It talks about not going along with the voice of the masses. That might be important today, I'm thinking but not going along with the general consensus, but being faithful and consistent to be obedient to the things that God has told you, the things that the Lord has shown you. Um, And so that's the general direction I was heading. 
But I was praying as I was uh, coming to work one morning. I always hesitate between saying I'm coming to church or coming to work. (laughs) My mom and I used to talk on the phone and we'd talk every Sunday morning and I would be, I'm on my way to work. And she's like, I'm on my way to church. And I'm like, well, we're both going the same place. And, um, but, uh, I was praying and I said, you know, it's just the most novel thing to me that sometimes you ask a question of God and you don't really expect to get the answer. You just, you know, pose a question, but did you know that God answers? And so I just said, kind of flippantly in my car, I said, Father, what is the road less traveled? When you look at this planet and you look at the earth, what is the road least taken? And immediately, man, he just spoke in my spirit. And he said, the least traveled path is a path of holiness, a road of holiness. Now, (laughs) I have to tell you that holiness is a trigger word for me, uh, considering my background. And so I just kind of took a breath in my spirit when he said that. and, And I'm like, Okay, because growing up, I was, I grew up in a holiness church and there is absolutely nothing wrong with a holiness church. The holiness church that I grew up in, everything seemed so external. Everything seemed so external and so much was based on what I did or didn't do. Um, and that would play out in my relationship to the Lord. If I did this, then I was in right standing with Him. And if I didn't do this, then I was out of right standing with Him. And so I really struggled with that. When, when the Lord just spoke holiness, I immediately thought of a long time ago. I mean, in my church, there were three levels. There was holy, and it had to do with your skirt. <laughs> holy touched the top of your shoes. Heathen showed part of that ankle and calf. And hell in a handbasket touched the knee. And uh, we kind of relegated that to the rest of our walk with the Lord. There were levels. There was a certain level at which you were holy. And then there was the other levels at which your salvation was at stake. And I tended to dance between the two. And, and, I, and when I think back on it, I think, you know, we weren't allowed to wear makeup, which was fine because I was six. And, uh, but makeup and jewelry and those things that I knew that I would eventually want to wear, I really didn't like the idea that I wasn't going to be able to wear them. So when the Lord spoke and said, holiness, there was something in me that wanted to put up a wall, but it's so like him right behind it. He said, um, he said, I want you to understand that this is a lifestyle. This is a hard issue. And then he said, three words, man, we're going to live with today. He said, a life of Conviction and repentance will lead to a life of holiness. A life of conviction, repentance will lead to a life of holiness. Man, and something on the inside of me just settled deep into that. Don't you know that when the Lord speaks, even if you don't like the word, there's something on the inside of you that will resonate and testify and go, that's truth. That's truth. And I had that. In the, in the car as, as the Lord was talking to me. And he just began to lay it out for me, the, just all of it, the way that he was trying to share with me. And it was so consistent with the path that he has taken me on in my later life. The very first thing I felt like it was so important for us to understand conviction. Conviction. You know, the Holy Spirit today, we don't hear a whole lot about him in this connotation. We don't hear about conviction of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that's the issue is we hear a whole lot about the gifts of the Spirit. 
we went to a service last night, man, and the gifts of the Spirit were in evidence. Or we went to a church, and man, the fruits of the Spirit, and those are wonderful, and those are absolutely valid and true. But very rarely do you hear someone say, man, we went to a service last night, and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit overwhelmed us, and we got our lives right with Christ. The Holy Spirit began to move, and we begin to be convicted. So often, we take conviction and we mistake it with condemnation, and that seems to be what has happened in society today. We take the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, which is the first thing the Word tells us about the Holy Spirit, and the last thing we talk about about Him. But we take this word conviction, and we somehow trade it for the word condemnation, and we make it this religious word that somehow fences us in and condemns us and makes us feel bad about everything that we've done wrong. And that's not at all what the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit is that He convicts and, and convinces us of, of the truth. He lays these things in our life up against the truth. And He says, this is... you." <laughs> he basically says... You have violated what I've called you to and who you are in me. This is the truth of my word. Now line up your actions to it. But the beautiful thing about the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is that when he does that, he follows it with promise. He follows it with promise. He says, daughter, it's just like you would look at your child and go, baby, what you did was wrong. You got to fix this. You got to set this right. You got to fix this because when you fix this, that relationship will be restored. And there's so much promise on the other side of the obedience and, and moving in repentance as, as the Holy Spirit convicts us. Condemnation, on the other hand, is completely, is just completely different. Condemnation lays your sin against how bad you are. And there's no hope in it. It's the passage of Scripture that we just read. It says, there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and life. And there is a worldly sorrow that leads to death. And see, that's the thing. We can be sorry all day long and never move away from our sin. We can be crushed by it because we... we... Jesus, help me. We have so much teaching about the mercy and grace of God, and it's absolutely valid and it's absolutely true. But I, I feel like a lot of times what it's birthed in our life and maybe in the life of the church is that we have so much, we repent or no, we seek forgiveness, we seek forgiveness, we seek forgiveness. But we never pray, God, let me turn away from this sin. God, change my heart so that this is not an issue for me anymore. Two different things. The condemnation of the enemy is like fingerprints on the glass of your life. It is this shame thing. When you mess up, there's this shame. And you're so ashamed of what you've done. And you can't get past those fingerprints. They are his. I've been here and done this. This is what the enemy does in your life. He makes these places in your life. And every time you think of that, you are so ashamed. And that's condemnation. God says, I have redeemed you from that shame. I have forgiven you for what's happened. Now move on and get on with what I've called you to do. So as a church and as a, as a human and as a church, we have to embrace repentance. Repentance instead 
of worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow lets us stay in our mess and lets us stay in our sin. And, and we can't do that anymore. We can't do that anymore. We got to fix some things. If there's ever a time, I believe, in the world where we needed to understand what it means to repent and what it means to turn away from an old sinful nature and an old sinful mindset, I think today is the day. Today is the day is that we would begin to turn away. You know what? Worldly sorrow will allow... Jesus, help me. Worldly sorrow will allow a man to hit a woman on Tuesday and be so sorry for it that he convinces her to stay on Wednesday because he's sorry. But he gets mad on Thursday and he hits her again. And he's sorry on Friday. But there's no repentance. Repentance turns away from the sin. Repentance goes in the opposite direction toward the truth. And until a heart truly repents and turns toward God and turns toward the truth, what that heart has a tendency to do is accept the voice of the masses or to continue in the sin. Man, I told God, I said, Lord, this is not popular. <laughs> Nobody's going to bring me candy after this, Lord. Except maybe Pastor Kevin. He, he leaves a payday on my, uh, on my desk very often. <laughs> um, I said, Lord, this is not going to be popular. And he said, exactly. That is why that path is so sparsely populated. It's so, you know what? There used to be this passage in the Bible that talked about a narrow gate. Has anybody heard anything about a narrow gate in a really long time? I mean, seriously, I'm being serious. I had to go back and make sure that wasn't something my parents made up. I mean, because let's face it, around there were times where those things weren't actually... Easter bunnies was... I never saw one. But they say, and I, chocolate always turned up. I'm just saying, man... The Lord reminded me of that passage this week and went, there's a narrow gate. What are you talking about? We don't have any boundaries anymore. But see, there's this other passage of Scripture that says the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And we get so caught up in that passage from David and we're like, oh yeah, pleasant places. What about the boundary lines? Boundary lines tell me that God has boundaries within which there's blessing. There are boundary lines that he draws in our life. I can tell my kids, you know what, you can go out, and, or my grandkids now, my 35-year-old isn't going to go play in the yard. <laughs> uh, well, he might with his kids. But, you know, I used to tell the kids, go out, you can play in the yard, and they knew their boundary lines were the perimeter of our yard. You didn't step out in the street. You didn't move beyond that. They could do basically anything within those boundary lines. And see, I drew those boundary lines because I wanted them safe. But man, they could have a blast right there within those boundary lines. But there's inevitably somebody who has to step across them. And God doesn't rein you back into your boundaries because you are, um, you know, because he cannot... 
handle the fact that you disobeyed him. He reigns you back into your boundary lines because he wants to cover you. He wants to protect you. He wants to be a sovereign in your life. I think one of the things about this convicting work of the Holy Spirit, when I was a kid, it was so much easier. I know that sounds funny against what I shared earlier, but it was so much easier, this work of the Holy Spirit, because when I was a kid, the Holy Spirit was still an equal part of the Trinity. When I was a kid, my mom and my dad would talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they would talk to the, about the, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit so much that I never saw one as less than the other. I saw that the Holy Spirit carried the same power and, and, uh, it seems like today, the only times we hear about the Holy Spirit is when somebody's being baptized and we, they're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, or they're going to a service where there's been woohoo and the blessing of the Lord has fallen regardless of the state of the heart. It just, it just kind of boggles my mind sometime where he's been relegated, but see, he's been relegated there because as long as the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is no longer at work in the heart of the people or the heart of the church, the power of the church is diminished in a society that needs a powerful church. So my prayer has been, Holy Spirit, fill this place. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fill us so that we are a church of power, a church of strength, a church that knows when the, the convicting work is being done and a church that knows when to repent and move toward the truth of a holy life. See, holiness is nothing more than consecration. Holiness is nothing more than being set apart for the purposes of God. And you have all been set apart for the purposes of God. You all have a calling on your life. In chapter 11 of this book, they were talking about the Rechabites, and they were talking about how nobody understood the way that they lived. They lived as nomads. They didn't uh, build homes, and they didn't have gardens, and, and they didn't do all of these things, yet they were skilled, and they were fabulous iron workers, and, and they had so much to offer, but they wouldn't come within the gates of the city because they had been called to something else. They couldn't go with the masses. They couldn't do the acceptable thing. They couldn't, just because these people said this is okay, it didn't mean it was okay. They were following what they were committed to, what they had disciplined their lives to, and we should be doing the same thing. Samson had a call on his life, and it was a life, it was a life call of a Nazarite, and he couldn't cut his hair, and he couldn't drink anything that had to do with grapes. And as long as he was obedient to that, his life was rich, and it was full. And I just wonder what would happen if all of us began to live lives consistent with the calling that God has placed on us. One of the things, you know, I really thought one of the things I was going to touch on with the um the road less traveled was, oh, I thought this will be a perfect time. You know, I can talk about, you know, being a female pastor in the, in the Bible Belt, you know, because that's not super popular. You know, I haven't won any awards for that. But the Lord just, <laughs> we should start an award ceremony. <laughs> we'll invite all the female pastors just all over the place, man. Help me, Lord. Now I'm distracted. But God has a way. And one of the things he said to me when I was musing about that, he said, that's just a vocation on the path. 
That's part of your narrow gate. That's one of the things I have asked you to walk through and enter into. And I, I would venture to say that you have a narrow gate. You have things in your life, the boundaries that the Lord has drawn for you, that allow you to walk and move and function in your calling. I know this much. I could not be a pastor. I couldn't, I couldn't serve in really any capacity if it weren't for the work, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, repentance in my life on a daily basis. I, have, I would love to tell you on, you know, June 9th, 1974, I didn't have to repent, but I'm sure I did. Every day, it's a practice in my life. No, no, it's not a practice. It's a discipline in my life that when the Holy Spirit rises up on the inside of me with truth and says, you violated what I've called you to. You've rebelled against my truth in your life. My job is to move in repentance, turn away from it, turn toward that truth. And it is only that. It is only the work of the Holy Spirit that keeps me on a path toward consecration and holiness a functioning and doing the best I can to be pleasing to Him. And I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you to begin to seek the Lord in this way. Actually, if you would pray with me with this, I would really appreciate it. Father, I'm asking you to increase your Holy Spirit in my life. I am asking you, Father, for a work that, that causes truth to rise up on the inside of me. I pray, Father, you would sharpen me in conviction. Lead me toward repentance and help me to live a life that is set apart, sanctified, and consecrated for your purposes. Only you, Lord, can do that. Only you, Lord, can do that. The praise team will come out. Guys, if we will do that, if we will get our hearts right, if you will begin to pray and ask the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, invite the, the Holy Spirit to come and do what Jesus said, it is good for you that I go away. Because until he went away, the Holy Spirit couldn't come and do what he's, he's come to do. And that we have very much forgotten that he does. Allow him to bring conviction, bring truth into our lives. Turn and repent from those things and live a consecrated life for him. This is what we find in you. A life transformed, our hope renewed. Mercy mornings filled with light. Peaceful respite, sweet dreams at night. We have days of dancing and our hearts are unraveled as we journey with you on this road less traveled. God is faithful.